Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast equivalent of Harry Potter, but like in the first book, before we, he was a wizard and was just like an orphan kid living under the stairs. I am Jared Stormer of MazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, also of MazingBrew.com, my hetero life mate. Andy, you sole reason I haven't waded into the ocean with a pocket full of ball bearings. How the hell are you? I'm good, man. Uh, missed the pain of Michigan football. I missed the anguish. I missed the excitement. I also live under like, you know, like a cupboard under the stairs. So it's 2020. It's 2020 feels like living in a cupboard under the stairs, essentially. And yeah, we are supposed to be breaking down uh, Michigan, Washington. Uh, I think we would have won it 28-21 for what it's worth. But instead, we're looking back at old games and trying to find any semblance of happiness to cling to here in this uh, dark, depressing doldrum that is 2020. <laughs> yeah, we're unveiling a new series tonight. We're going to go back and revisit some of Michigan's more memorable games. Some favorable, some maybe less than favorable. Call it Maze and View. And tonight we're going to start with the 2003 classic of Michigan, Ohio State. Maze in view. I like it, sir. I didn't even know you had come up with that, but that is that is catchy. I like the way that rolls off the tongue. But yeah, uh, in lieu of, you know, actually covering real games, we're going to do this for now until, you know, maybe God willing, we get some sort of late October start. But I've given up on having hope for anything. So not going to get my hopes up there, but this will have to do in the meantime. And yeah, like you said, I mean, look back at some of the games not just some of the ones that we've covered in the last three years, but we want to dig a little bit deeper, go a little bit further back. I don't think we're going to be looking back into the 70s or the 60s or anything, but uh, look back at some of the classic games that a lot of us remember but haven't really thought about in a while. Yeah, the game footage from some of those might be hard to find. We're not going to bring up any barn burners post-World War II. The boys are back in town, and so is the running game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say that, but we watched for this one, 2003 Michigan versus Ohio State. And I got to say, like, the quality of the broadcast looks like Clyde Drexler is about to come out of the other the other side of the tunnel. Like, it looks much older than 2003. Everything looks like it's filmed underwater. <laughs> Very grainy. Everybody looks huge because their shoulder pads are about a size too big on everybody. It was very strange to watch, but man. How good did it feel to see the big house packed, fans just going crazy, nobody wearing a mask? Man, yeah, it's crazy. We were talking about it offline. Like, you go back and you watch it, you turn it on, and you just kind of forget that the world used to be normal. And like, none of these people are even wearing masks. Like, oh, yeah, this was 2003, and Britney Spears was at the height of her powers, and life was good. We didn't even know anything about a coronavirus. Yeah, I was getting uh, super stoked for the Marshall Mathers LP1. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that sounds about right. right. <laughs> Jim and Lincoln Park on repeat. In the end, still slaps, so it's fun. Still slaps, still slaps. <laughs> yeah, going back and watching this, um, it was fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing it, and at this point, I'll take whatever sports that you can give me. Um, and absorbing whatever is on right now. So this was nice. Did get to watch some Michigan football. I would say that it probably hurt more than it helped, though. Because this time of the year, you start to feel the the weather changing. You know it's supposed to be college football season. You're supposed to be watching Michigan. But we grit our teeth and we got through it anyway. Yeah, we did. And, and real football we got to watch was Navy-BYU. So, yeah, it fell short. Yes, it did. I did watch that, by the way. And um, I actually, I also watched Army uh, complete an absolute masterpiece where they threw the ball twice 
and somehow still put up like 49 points. Masterpiece. <laughs> well, last year, the 49ers threw the ball eight times the NFC Championship and made the Super Bowl. So maybe Army's onto something. Maybe. That ain't going to cut it again this year for the, the 49ers. I'm telling you right now, I don't care how good their defense is. Or how gorgeous Jimmy G is. Man, he's gorgeous. It doesn't even make sense. That chin? Whew. Give me a break. <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, So let's kind of break down and, and talk about this 2003 Michigan versus Ohio State game. That was the one that we chose. Uh, you know, there, there was many other choices out there that we looked at. This one we thought would be a good one because it was the last meaningful Michigan-Ohio State game where Michigan pulled out a victory. Big Ten championships on the line. I mean, you're talking two of the top both top 10 teams coming into this game, not as much star power as you might imagine. In fact, I would say that modern games probably have more star power between these two programs, but for the time, some big names going on and uh, just, it had an old school feel to it, didn't it? It really did. Like seeing some of the names just brought back so many memories. When you see Steve Breston out there as the number two receiver, like the Braylon Edwards or just smaller players like Jerome Jackson, guys you forgot about, or even like younger players on the team, like the Lamar Woodleys, the Leon Halls, just really takes you back to a different time that feels so much, so much further than 2003. It does. It feels like it's much further back, but you're like, well, these guys are like my age. It's really not that, that long. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, looking back on it, seeing some of the old names, uh, let's talk some of the notable names here that we're dealing with. Uh, notable players on Ohio State offense uh, that I noticed. Michael Jenkins, wide receiver, uh, played in the NFL. He was really good for them in college. Ben Hartsock was their tight end. He was a senior in this game. Very solid, just run-of-the-mill, corn-fed white boy that you typically used to see in Big Ten at the tight end position. At tailback, it was Lydell Ross, who maybe was the least talented guy that they had, I mean, for the next 10 years after this, 20 years after this almost now. Because, um, I mean, after him, it's Maurice Hall, and then you got nothing but absolute studs. Yeah, and he was a... a- he was supposed to be third string because Maurice Claret was the freshman the year before, and then he Correct. was hurt, and then his replacement got hurt before this game. Correct. Yeah, so Lydell Ross comes into this game as the lead tailback, uh, who I do remember, but, yeah, not the most talented Ohio State uh, tailback that comes to mind. At quarterback, it was Craig Krenzel, who uh, does not sound like he should be a quarterback at all. It sounds like some sort of holiday snack or treat, but he was a quarterback apparently. Uh, Nick Mangold and a young Santonio Holmes were the guys that stood out to me. Santonio Holmes is really good in this game. Yeah, and you could tell, I would say already he looked like the most talented player on this team. Not the best, like seasoned, but talent-wise, he really pops. He did, and um, Nick Mangold didn't look as dominant as he would become in the NFL, which was surprising to me because he was a stalwart that sat in the NFL with the Jets. Yeah, sometimes you get a guy that's just decent uh, in college and then goes to the pros and becomes an absolute stud. And, yeah, good point about Nick Mangle. Uh, he had trouble with that big, big Michigan defensive front. Uh, so let's talk about some of the notable players on the Michigan defense that you saw. Um, who stood out to you? Uh, first off, Jeremy Lasur, Lasur, the corner. I mean, played a lot of man-to-man on San Antonio Holmes, on Michael Jenkins, a lot of hard assignments out there, and he was just incredible. Yeah. Great game, and I don't even really remember him, to be honest. I, I I didn't remember a lot of this defense like until I watched the game. Like the next the generation coming in, the Lamar Woodley's Leon Halls, who I'm more familiar with. Right. And uh who was uh the defensive tackle? It was uh is it Kashima? Uh Kash yeah. 
they had him. Uh, let me see. I got it pulled up right here. The defensive line was probably the strength of the team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Their safeties were nasty. Uh, but that defensive line was was solid. They, yeah, they, I mean, they generated pressure. They hadn't had a sack in the game, and then he quickly finished with two. And I think the team finished with a good bit of them as well. Um, also, our guy Ernest Shazer. Uh, Shazer or Shazer? Shazer, I believe, yeah. Oh, the Razor. The huge interception to seal it. And it feels like every big, I mean, the only two Michigan wins, but this one in 11 both ended in a pick to seal it, which is kind of funny. It is. Yeah. yeah. There, there's definitely some common threads that tie these together, but um, yeah, you also had like Larry Harrison on defense. You had um, on the defensive line, excuse me, Rondell Biggs was there. David Hull, um, Cashin Austin, G- names that aren't really household names now, but man, did that defensive line really look good. Uh, what stood out to me was the safety play. You got Marlon Jackson, Ernest Shazer, uh, Pierre Woods was absolutely laying wood out there. So those are the guys that really stood out to me on the Michigan defense. This is, like you said, pre-Leon Hall. Uh, Lamar Woodley was there on special teams, but wasn't really getting a lot of runs. So not as many household names on the Michigan defense, but this was a top five unit again. Yeah, it was funny. The two names that stood out to me the most were Leon Hall and Lamar Woodley, and they were mostly <clears throat> special teams guys and emergency stashaways for now. So when those names came out like, oh, Leon Hall recovers a fumble. I'm like, hold on, what? Leon Hall? Marlon Jackson stands out. I mean, he went to play on with the uh, the Peyton Manning Indianapolis Colts team. You know, he's an absolute stud. Um, and Shazer stood out to me as well. But uh, um, how about on uh, Ohio State defense? Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, he's a problem. Will Smith and Will Allen. All the generic name guys they have were all problems. Yeah, they uh they made a comment during the broadcast that Will Allen, they asked like him or Mark D'Antonio, who was their DC, who could block him. They said nobody. Like, well, five guys are blocking him right now, but then after that he had like a sack, so kind of came or not a sack, he had a tackle for loss, which came back to bite us. Yeah, yeah, he was an absolute problem. Chris Gamble at safety was a problem. Uh, Will Allen also at safety. Um, or no, Gamble, excuse me, Gamble's a corner. Gamble's he a was, corner. He's a corner. He was matched up against Braylon Edwards for most of that game. Uh, Edwards ate his lunch in this game. Bobby Carpenter also at linebacker. A.J. Hawk at linebacker. So uh, pretty typical. Uh, this was the number one rushing defense? Number one rushing defense coming into this game. Ended up finishing second. Yep. That sounds about right. And then uh, notable players on Michigan offense. Come, come on. Braylon Edwards, Steve yeah. Breston, Jason Avant, or Avant if you watch the broadcast. Chris Perry, John Navarre, who broke the Michigan career passing record in this game. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And uh, you, you already named the names. On the offensive line, David Boss. Yep. David I think it's boss, but um, I remember him being an absolute stud. And in this game, he was pulling, getting out in front of Chris Perry, very athletic. Reminded me a lot of David Mulk, too, or uh, even like a Cesar Ruiz and how he was able to pull and get out in front. Um, So talented Michigan offense. Um, How do you want to get into this, man? You want to go quarter by quarter? You want to just kind of talk generally about it or what? Let's talk generally. What's what's something that just like stood out to you watching this game for the first time? Like kind of like in in the in game action. Like how we talk about a normal Michigan game. Sure. All right. So uh, the first thing I noticed is coming into the game, you got uh, Ohio State with a record of ten and one, and you said they were ranked fourth, right? Correct. And Michigan nine and two, ranked fifth. Nine and two, ranked fifth. So you've got a meaningful game. Um, as it should be. This game should always be a meaningful game, so that stands out. Um, I went back and looked. Michigan had lost at Oregon and at Iowa 
two of the top three hardest places to play um, per like a bleacher report um, finding a few years back. Autzen Zoo and Kinnick are not easy places to play. So Michigan, very good tested team with a tough schedule comes in. Things that stood out to me early on was uh, it reminds me of like the 2015, 2016 teams, doesn't it? With kind of the offenses that are being run, not for Ohio state by 2015 and 2016, Ohio state was already, you know, urban Meyerized and, and into the future and spread and operating out of the shotgun. But in this game, it's a lot more old school. It is. And you touched on the rankings and the big 10 titles on the line in this game. Like what more can we ask for? It's happened like a few times to win the Big Ten East now, but back then there wasn't a conference championship game. This was pretty much it. So everything was riding on it. And you're right. Like besides the lack of like shotgun formation, I think maybe they ran it 10 times total between both teams. A lot, a lot of motion offense, a lot of first down passing. The offense like as archaic as it looks sometimes with H-backs and fullbacks and two, three tight ends. They still had all these modern concepts sprinkled in there, and um, it was really interesting to watch. Like it kind of it takes you way back, but it also brings you forward. So as old school as it felt, it's like no, nah, Lloyd Carr and company had an idea of where football was going to go. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go back and watch the whole season and see how many of those concepts they were implementing early on, and how many of those were saved for this game. Because back in the day you were saving things for this game. And I have to imagine a lot of the stuff that they did. You're right. There was a lot of motion, a couple end arounds. They were trying to get the the ball into the hands of Braylon Edwards and in, in unique ways. And there were some modern concepts in there, but it's dashes of them. You have to wonder how many of those were part of their game plan throughout the season and how much were for that game. Um, the other thing that I noticed um, early on the pace was something that I noticed. Like now it's a more frenetic pace. Hurry up. I, I don't know that I saw any hurry up in this game. I wasn't really looking for it outside of situations where it would dictate that, you know, yeah, but below two minutes. Um, so the pace I noticed, um, the, um, the formations, yeah, a lot of two tight end sets, even for Ohio state, you would never see Ohio state run a, run some of the things they were running in 2003. No, the field felt so condensed. Like they weren't using, utilizing all the space they had. There was no speed and space. This was just a phone booth style fight. Like everything was just in the trenches. And when it would get on the outside, like they still weren't using all the concepts you see today with like pulling guards or crack back blocks. It was very strange to see. And to your point about like pulling out special plays for this game, they did that on Michigan's first touchdown. It was the first time they'd put Steve Breston under center this year. He'd played quarterback once before the year prior, they put him under center, ran the option, faked the pitch, touchdown. And things like that, I love when you just keep it in your back pocket. Yep, absolutely. And uh, so we're going to get a little bit more into it, actually talk about this thing quarter by quarter, talk about the game a little bit more. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll return with our Mason View Breakdown 2003 Michigan versus Ohio State. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are doing our Maze in View series, trying to pretend like we're happy breaking down old games when we should be breaking down new ones. But we're in it now, talking 2003 Michigan-Ohio State. Kind of gave you a little bit of background about this game coming in. This one was for the Big Ten Championship, and first quarter right out of the gate. Uh, let's kind of do like a loose breakdown here of how things went. Ohio State gets the ball first in this one, and Michigan defense really tells the tale of the first quarter until uh, until Chris Perry gets going. Yeah, they just dominated the line of scrimmage. Over and over again, Ohio State couldn't get anything going. Seems sluggish. I even made a note that Ohio State just isn't that good. Like It felt so strange to me that this was the defending national champion fighting for a chance to get back into the national title picture. Yeah, one of the things that I wrote down was lack of star power. You will never see this again at Ohio State where they have two athletes on their offense and then just everyone else is just kind of average. It's it's literally Michael Jenkins, Santonio Holmes, and Lydale Ross is an athlete as well. But just lack of star power, you will not see that ever again. I mean, now they've built an ab absolute juggernaut. But even Michigan on the other side has Braylon Edwards, Steve Breston, Jason Avant, and Chris Perry. I mean, those guys are all athletes. And um, at Tyler Ecker at, at uh, tight end as well. Um, so that stood out to me as well. You see actually more athletes maybe on the Michigan offense than on the Ohio State offense. And uh, yeah, you're right. Defense early on, Michigan defense, they're trying to run the ball through the tackles. Ohio State is, and it is not working against that Michigan defensive front early on. Um, Michigan first drive, nothing really to speak of. But then the second drive, they start to lean on Perry. They do. And uh, one thing to go back on, on the fourth play of uh, the game for Michigan offensively, Jason Avant gone out of the game, doesn't come Correct. back. Correct. Yeah, you don't see him again. You get uh, Steve Breston gets a little bit more run, and then you start hearing from guys that you never hear from again <laughs> from, yeah. from Michigan. Pretty pretty much, but dude, Chris Perry's the star of this game. They start feeding him the rock. They get it to him in screens. The game plan was simple. It was basically get him the ball as much as you can in between the tackles, outside in little short dump passes and swings and screens, and then open up the field for Braylon Edwards. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was a simple game plan, and it's surprising how effectively it worked because, uh, I mean, they weren't reinventing the wheel here. It was pound the ball with Chris Perry, uh, you know, bait him with some play action. There were, like you were saying, some more modern stuff. Chris Perry uh, was a receiving threat in this game. Definitely a receiving threat. David Boss is pulling and getting out in front, almost Cesar Ruiz-like. Um, so there are some modern concepts there. But end of the first quarter, Michigan's up 7 nothing. Basically, um, you know, on the shoulders of Chris Perry, who goes in in a three-yard cloud of dust kind of situation on the goal line. No, it's Chris. Steve Breston went in. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, you're right. It was Steve Breston on the. Uh, that was the first one on Take the uh, quarterback keeper. Yep. Yep. Oh, what a what a beautiful play call there. Break the huddle fast. Get to the line. Throw Navarre out a receiver. Ohio State just doesn't know what to do, and Breston just tucks and run, baby. I love Steve Breston. One of my all-timers, right there. I actually wrote down a note that just says, I love Steve Breston. That's all you need to say. <laughs> Do a whole podcast about that. Second quarter, though, Michigan starts to pull away. Uh, it becomes the Braylon Edwards show here in the second quarter a little bit. 64-yard uh, touchdown from Navarre to Braylon Edwards in the second quarter. Uh, takes Michigan up 14 nothing. his longest of the season up to that point. Uh, Braylon Edwards out there, absolute dog in it. He's their star. At this point, everyone knew who Braylon Edwards was. 
He's out there throwing fists with Chris Gamble after a 64-yard touchdown. This dude is a, a dog. I loved watching that part. That was fantastic. All the chippiness, like you could just feel the intensity. And during the broadcast, it's so funny. They're like, they seem to have a lot of respect for each other. It's like, come on, come on. Yeah. Like, no, but they want to go out here and they want to fight and they want to fight. That's why Chris Perry, despite being injured, frequently battling and grimacing, stays in this game because it's a dog fight. And man, Braylon Edwards just scores. They're up 14 nothing. Michigan has a 209 to 78 yard advantage. He's still out there ready to throw the hands. He's throwing hands with Chris Gamble, and they're letting it go. Very reminiscent of uh, Charles Woodson and David Boston out there throwing. Uh, Edwards' helmet comes off even, and I'm like, oh, man. God, I miss that. It's it's good to watch. Um, Michigan's up 14 nothing after the uh, Braylon Edwards touchdown. Ohio State gets the ball. They have their best drive of the day up to that point, but Craig Rem- Krenzel remains a tire salesman and not a quarterback and uh, can't really drive the ball, but also, it's very vanilla. A lot of between the tackles on first and second down, and then Krenzel dropping back, trying to make something happen on third down. And against that pass rush and that secondary, it's very difficult for him. Yeah, run, run, pass, punt does not only work so well. Like You can't do that all season, expect success to be, be continued. Yeah, you made the comparison that watching this reminded you of watching a 2015 Michigan team, and that part is accurate. The, the run, run, pass, punt part of it in particular until dad Rudock got going of course but yeah, it would get so annoying <laughs> it would get really annoying so uh after that uh, ohio state has a decent drive but has to punt it um ball pretty much back into perry's hands from there uh then chris gamble goes out of the game and michigan starts picking their spots through the air again navarre connects with braylon edwards it's 21 nothing michigan life is beautiful at this point it is fantastic And it's at this point, going back to annoying, that Craig Krenzel starts to use his legs and become elusive on their next drive. And I don't know who you remind. I hate to say this. It kind of reminds me of like how Jake Rudock could be elusive and get to the edge and get some yards. That's what Craig Krenzel was doing, except Jake Rudock could throw. But Craig Krenzel would just, their next drive just keeps it going by picking up this here, picking up this there. And it's like low-key deceptively fast. I hate it. Is Craig Krenzel the least talented national championship winning quarterback you can think of? Yeah, I think Chris Leak for Florida was better. Um, yep. Jamarcus Russell, Matt Flynn, running through some more. Matt Flynn was not great. He wasn't great, but he also threw six tutties in an NFL game, so. Yes. Yes, he did. Craig Krenzel did not. Craig, Craig Krenzel, Krenzel did not. Um, yeah, man. man, off the top of my head, that's that's a definite yes. He's definitely not Joe Burrow. No, definitely not. Craig Krenzel is selling white walls and Maslin right now. Actually, you said he actually is an insurance salesman, which is hilarious. Yeah, he owns an insurance company 20 minutes from my house. I love it. I'll go, go see him tomorrow and just give him the bird. For no. 03, baby. Oh, three. But yeah, you're right. Krenzel got going there in the second quarter, primarily with his legs, uh, completes the pass to a young Santonio Holmes who puts his fingerprints all over this game early on. 21-7, Michigan still leading. Uh, 36 seconds left, three timeouts. Michigan takes a knee going into the half. Um, They're on like the 30. Sounds familiar, huh? Yeah, I was like, I don't care that we won. That is weak sauce. And I need that gone forever. That cannot be in your DNA. It's not when the offense is humming like it was. Michigan was just scoring, scoring, moving the ball. They'll do it again in the third quarter. Like, just come on. Just 
Navarre could sling it a little bit. Like, just give him a chance. Braylon Edwards and Braston could catch anything. And Gamble was out at that point. So, I mean, there was somebody that's not playing in the NFL covering Braylon Edwards, you know, a future Bolitnikoff winner. So, yeah, that that was a little, that felt a little, little too conservative. Even for Jim Harbaugh, that was too conservative. Yeah, you won't really see that sort of. Uh, it's it's also interesting too because I thought about it at this point in the game. This is pre Twitter, so Lloyd Carr's not even going to know that people are upset or what they think about this call. Whereas nowadays, Twitter would erupt. Yeah, it would go crazy. But funny thing is, there, I read an article uh, covering the game afterwards from O three. A reporter asked him about that going into the locker room, and Lloyd Carr apparently just lost it on them. It was like, oh, I question me this. I want to get it in there and do this and blah, blah, blah. And later apologized. But it's like, oh, yeah, imagine how you would handle Twitter just screaming at you. Yeah. People forget that at the time of this game, Lloyd Carr was actually already 103 years old. <laughs> he was mostly metal at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he was definitely an old school type coach uh, already. I mean, even out the gate. So uh, third quarter, Michigan comes out swinging. Chris Perry beats the safety for six uh, around the around the edge is like a 30 yard run. Chris Perry just getting stronger as the game goes along, which is something that really stands out. Yeah. The, and again, how banged up he was. But Chris Perry might be the one of the most underrated great Wolverines of all time. I mean, he goes on to finish third in the country in rushing fourth in the Heisman voting. His lower body elusiveness is elite. Like there's no other word for it. It's elite. He doesn't go down on first contact. He can run between the tackles outside. He can catch the ball. If he could have just stayed healthy, he would have been a mainstay in the NFL. I would have to agree. Uh, we talked a little bit offline uh, trying to think, has there been a more talented running back to come through? Just talent-wise, not production. Obviously, Mike Hart's still yet to come. Uh, but talent-wise, watching Chris Perry, I was like, we haven't really had a back like that. I mean, on, like Charbonnet is very, very talented now. Um, but up until, like, that's a long gap between yeah. having a back like Chris Perry. Like, we thought Sam McGuffey or Derek Green, too, like right. former five-stars would do it, but they just clearly didn't translate to the college level. No, Karan Higdon is great, and I love Karan Higdon as much as the next guy, but Chris Perry's on a different planet athletically. Yeah, 100%. Chris Perry had no flaws in his game, and if this game is the biggest indicator playing injured and what he did. Like, come on. like I forgot how good he was, to be honest. Yeah, same here. That that was one of my big takeaways from this game. Um, after the Chris Perry touchdown, Michigan D gets a hold of Krenzel, um, starts getting into the backfield a little bit more. You see the start, uh, the front seven start to put their hand, their fingerprints all over this game in the second half here. Uh, after that, John Navarre hits Braylon Edwards for an 84-yard touchdown, called back on a holding call on a on a penalty flag that came in late and uh, brutal call. This would definitely be known as the Braylon Edwards game and not the Chris Perry game had it have stood. Yeah, and this game would have been a blowout because that makes it 35-7. to And Michigan has all the momentum in the world, and I think Ohio State would have just crumbled. Yeah, and especially since that was pretty late in the third quarter, right after that, Ohio State marches down the field, another touchdown pass to Santonio Holmes. And instead of 30, what, what it would have been 28? It would have been 35-7. Now it's 28-14. Now it's 28-14. So 14-point swing there. Um, I mean, who knows if they would have still scored with Antonio Holmes. But big big swing in the game there. All of a sudden, Ohio State's back into it. Yeah, they get back in business. Krenzel's still getting outside the pocket, using his feet to be annoying and pick up first downs. And Antonio Holmes is a problem at this point. They didn't have an answer for him right now. 
Nope, they start to favor uh, Jenkins and Holmes there. Michigan corners get picked on a little bit. Um, Lasur was great in this game, but there's no Leon Hall. There's no Jordan Lewis. We didn't have a shutdown necessarily. So Jenkins and Holmes get going. Uh, Krenzel's getting outside of the pocket. 28-21 Michigan on another pass. Um, actually, I don't. I don't have it here. How did they score their it third touchdown? It was a touchdown? 93 yard drive. That's and right. And they just yeah. wore down the defense. All of Michigan looked tired. They looked out of it. And I really thought it was going to be it. I mean, it was going to be rough because right that was the start of the fourth quarter. And then right after that, the next possession, it felt like classic Michigan letting the floodgates open. John Navarro throws his first terrible pass of the game, an interception. And it's like, okay, this is it. Here, they're going to tie the game. But Michigan's defense, after allowing that 93-yard drive, rises up and stops him and gets the ball back. I will disagree with you on one point, that it was Navarre's first poor throw of the day. I said really, really bad throw. He had some bad throw, but this was a bad miss. There were two dropped interceptions up to this point, and this is when I texted you when I was watching this game and said, what is the difference between John Navarre and Wilton Spate? Because to be honest, there's not that much of a difference in the player. I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Navarre, I'll give him a shade over Wilton Spate because he showed to be a gamer here, you know, in the fourth quarter, uh, as we're going to get to and in some other big games. But talent wise and what he brings to you, I don't necessarily know that John Navarre was any better than a healthy Wilton Spate. I don't know. He put up a lot better stats, though. Well, Wil- Wilton Spate wasn't healthy for a whole season. Well, that's that's fair. But I, I, I say Navarre is still better than the accountant. I, I like I said, I agree, but it's not by a big margin. I'm a little higher on Navarre than you, but not by much. I used to be high on Navarre, but I really think that watching quarterback play over the last decade, what we defined as elite quarterback play at Michigan was just not really elite. That's what I'm saying. I, I would say that we would say like someone that could come in and be a game manager at Michigan. That was elite because we have great defense and a great running back. But was he a game changer on the offense yeah that's fair yeah. that's that and that 84 yard pass that got called back would have changed things as he would, would have, yes i agree i mean that because that was the best thrown ball of the game by either quarterback and that would have put him in almost that would have put him in almost 400 yards for the day yeah indeed so anyway navarre throws that pick uh looks shaky even before that yep. pick, just comes out looking shaky uh michigan fumbles they they do stop ohio state after that uh defense rises up but then they in uh the ensuing punt they fumble steve breston fumbles it recovered by leon hall as you said you can feel it in the crowd though there's a lot of anxiety at this point in the game it's a one score game and michigan is looking shaky in the fourth it's a familiar feeling and then what do you do you lean on your workhorse and they feed and they feed and they feed Chris Perry over and over again as they march down the field. They did. There was a key completion to a young Tyler Ecker for 30 yards on that drive. Yes. Uh, which Navarre needed. I mean, first of all, because like I said, he looked shaky and, you know, confidence being key, especially in this game. Uh, but yeah, it was Chris Perry that they leaned on when they needed to. Um, Michigan drives down the field, uh, touchdown 35, 21, seven and a half minutes, about eight minutes remaining, uh, crowd comes back into it though, which is key. Now Michigan's got a two score lead, eight minutes left and the crowds into it. I think that fed the defense moving forward. Yeah. That was about all she wrote. The teams trade some punts, go back and forth. And then late in the game, Krenzel just choked a little bit through a high one, got tipped and our man, Razor Shazer picks it off and seals it. 
Yep, Lasur, Shazer, Marlon Jackson are exemplary on the uh, last few defensive stands. Uh, Michigan defense absolutely locks in, and that's pretty much it for you. Michigan rides it out, 35-21, takes the Big Ten Championship, gets slated to play number one USC in the Rose Bowl. We all know how that ended. Yeah. But this was a great game. This was a great moment for the team. This was the last meaningful game. Uh, the game when I say game I mean the game uh, it was the last meaningful one 2011 obviously uh, we won that one but you know a little bit of an asterisk next to that one unfortunately uh, so I mean we out talented them in this game and looking back on it I mean they had some big names Will Smith Will Allen uh, but overall I felt like we had the more talented team at least on offense I, I agree with you now let me throw out a couple of awards at you we can talk through them and see if we agree on this Okay. All right. What was your favorite play sequence of the game? Can I give you some nominees? Sure. All right. First off is the quick to the line option with Steve Breston. Steve Breston. Steve Breston for the first time of the year. Yeah. The second scoring drive was 74 yards in three plays, capped off by the Braylon Edwards 64 yard touchdown. Yep. Jason Avant pumping up the crowd while being carted off the game. Ooh, the ooh. crowd chanting Perry Perry as he was hurt. And then he gets up fired up and gets to the sideline or the eight play 89 yard final scoring drive to seal the game. Man, 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 man. Um, the nostalgic romantic in me wants to take um, Chris Perry chant or Avant pumping up the crowd. Um, but I'm going to take the Edwards touchdown. Uh, it was his longest of the season. Uh, it kind of showed early on that we could exploit some mismatches in their secondary. And I think it was important for the win because Edwards was big for the rest of the game. Braylon Edwards had a big day. Um, so I'll go with that as the play of the game. Um, but man, I really want to say like Chris Perry jumping back up from that injury. Cause I mean, we rode him this whole game. Which one do you pick? I I'm kind of with you on that one. I, I loved the 74 yards and three plays because that when the offense just started clicking and proved this team just didn't need to rely on Perry in the defense. But man, when they carted Jason Avant off and he's just screaming, got the hands up at the crowd and the crowd just responds to him. I mean, I, I get chills thinking about it. I loved Jason Avant and Breston. Some of those like 2000s receiving squads, you got Mario Manningham that's going to come through there. At, I mean, just. A lot of a lot of cool talent, a lot of guys that were fun to watch. Jason Avant was a Michigan, is a Michigan man through and through. All right. Next category. Call it Maze and Who. The, un, <laughs> the, un, the unsung heroes of this game. I'm gonna give you just a few nominees. You're allowed to throw out some more. Uh sure. Jeremy Lasour. I mean, big plays late and man to man. He had a great breakup on a crossing route, which I mean still gives us all nightmares. Mm -hmm. Um Shazier with the late interception played great as well in the secondary Kashima his first game in a month records two big sacks in this Leon Hall one big play but it is a big big play if he doesn't recover that ball Ohio State probably gets the ball with momentum and ties the game yeah that was a huge play by Leon Hall a little foreshadowing about what he would be for us moving forward um man 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 good choices I'm gonna go with Lasur at corner uh, because this is a guy, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the corner position, as you know, and I usually like to lock in on that. So I was watching Lasur in this, and he was excellent in this game, especially late in the game. Uh, he really, really clamped down on Holmes and Jenkins, and 
I mean, was a big part of the reason why they couldn't move the ball in the fourth. Um, but man, that the defensive tackle Hashima, that's a, that's another really close one. Leon Hall, I could easily see why you would go for that, but it was just the one play. So I'll go with Lasur for his uh, overall performance throughout the game. I'm with you as well. Uh, Lasur for me, he had some plays where he fell down and got roughed up. And when you're going against San Antonio Holmes and Michael Jenkins, you're going to have some problems. But when the game was on the line, locked up man-to-man and was just lights out when the team needed him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say maybe you could throw Steve Breston into that, even though he's a bigger name. Steve Breston at this point is, what, a sophomore? I think so. Man, that drop punt hurts me, though. That drop punt hurt, but you get a touchdown from him. He had a big return earlier in the day. And once again, he's still a sophomore. But yeah, I I get it. I get get what you're saying. Lasur is a great choice for this. A guy that... To be honest, I could not have even picked out of a lineup before watching this game. Um, but now I'm a fan. Yeah, I would think he owns like some kind of restaurant in Louisiana, like Lasour's. Like I go there all the time. I would definitely go to a place like Lasour's. It sounds like they would have amazing cornbread. <laughs> Next category, the bonehead moment of the game. I have three nominees. Holding on an 87-yard touchdown to Braylon Edwards. Yep. Michigan punters, Adam Finley, not punting against the end zone boundary, only standing like eight yards deep and almost gets blocked. What the hell? Like, back up. What are you doing? I didn't even notice that. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, last one. Ohio State calls a timeout while Chris Perry is injured with 408 left in the game, allowing him to stay in the game. Also didn't notice that. That's pretty dumb as well. Man, it's crazy how, like, these decisions will get picked apart, you know, nowadays because yeah. of social media and stuff. And like, it will become a thing. But at the time, these were probably just, you know, people talked about them like, hey, that's kind of dumb. And then that was it. it. It's just very interesting how the culture around it has changed. Um, holding on the 84 yard touchdown. I mean, you didn't need it. There was such a pocket there. You didn't need to do that holding. You didn't need to, to hold in order to give John Navarre time to throw that ball. Um, but allowing Chris Perry to get back in the game probably is the biggest one because that's what killed him. Yeah, it made no sense. The clock is stopped. He has to leave the field of play with an injury. You can kind of talk to your guys loosely. And Tress calls for a timeout. And that's like, all right, so he can stay in the game now? Like, I was just, I was befuddled. Like, you won a national title game the year before? How? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely overlooking a, <laughs> a major aspect of this game. Final category, I have three nominees. This is the Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Award for Excellence. Uh, the nominees are Chris Perry, obviously, who never looked mm-hmm. healthy once in this game, had over 200 total yards and two touchdowns. Second nominee, you know, you touched on it a bunch of this this evening that is Braylon Edwards Braylon Edwards finished with 130 yards seven on seven catches and two touchdowns and the last one the last nominee this is going to surprise you but real recognize real and that is BJ Sander the punter for Ohio State who Jared punted nine times for 442 yards and averaged 49 yards a punt if you think I'm giving this <laughs> award, the Tom Thomas J. Brady Award for Excellence, the Ohio State punter, you got me messed up, sir. But come on, Dane, let's just be honest, though. Nine punts for 442 yards, that's impressive. That's a lot of legwork. That's a wow. lot of – every time he punted the ball, he had like five seconds of hang time on a few of those. I was like, what the hell? Like, who is this guy? 
That's maddening. But he got a lot of work that day because Michigan defense came to play. Um, You got to give it to Perry. It's known as the Perry game, but you could just as easily give it to Edwards, I think. If that 84-yard touchdown goes off, like I said, it is the Edwards game. Um, I mean, that is a big day. 131 yards, two touches against Ohio State. Has anyone even come close? I think Nico um, in an absolute blowout a few years ago had over 100 yards for us, but it, it's just not a performance we've really seen replicated since. Um, but you got to give it to Perry. I mean, they rode him. He was injured, like you said. He didn't look 100%, but even at, we'll say, we'll call it 70%, 80%, the dude was shifty. He's powerful. His center of balance, his center of gravity is excellent. Um, he makes one decisive cut, but he can also kind of shake you out of, out of your shoes at times. It's, it's Perry for me. It's a walk away with Chris Perry for me, just really because that last drive, like who do you go to when your back's against the wall and you need something? They just rode him down to the end in screens and swings between the tackles and his last touchdown. He has a lateral cut that like five college running backs right now can make just so elusive, so shifty. And yeah, like I said before, probably the most underrated Michigan superstar of the 21st century. I mean, if we had him instead of Devion Smith as our running back in 2016, Dear can God. you imagine? Dear God. Can you imagine? Yeah, he'd probably be hurt, though, playing behind that 2016 offensive line, though, let's be real. That's true, yeah. Uh, we were kind of comparing this team, as we like to do, with the 2015 team. Who wins that? One game. This 2003 team and the 2015 team with Dad Rudock. We'll say late season Dad Rudock, too. Oh, Matt, now you're making it hard. <laughs> yeah, that makes it a little bit more interesting uh, because talent-wise, I, I would say this is a much deeper team, this 03 team. The 03 defensive front would body that line hard. That Michigan offensive line was not very good. Nope. Uh, Michigan had some talent at receiver, had some speed with Chesson. He's still young, had some speed with um, – Oh, uh, Amara Darbo. But uh, yeah, I'll give it to this team. I think because um, in that season, we played Indiana in triple OT. It was at Stevie Scott, their running back that went like for like three bills on us. Right. Uh, yeah. Chris Perry would run wild. So it'd be 03. Yep. And that 2015 defense was starting to become elite, but would not become elite until the next year. If you say 2016, that's a different animal. I'm not betting against that 16 team. <laughs> I probably wouldn't bet against that 16 team either. Although once again, uh, Michigan defensive front of 03 is going to give them problems. So uh, this was a great, great game to watch. I'm really happy that we did this. I really want to go back and do some of these older games to try and just, I mean, it's a, it's taking a nice bite of nostalgia and chewing on it for a little bit, but also just kind of, looking back at what the rivalry used to be and some differences in the culture surrounding the game. It was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed this. I did too. It was really nice to go back and see it's a different era because like you said, we forgot how good Chris Perry was and it's hard to find bigger Michigan fans or historians than us. So going back into 97, 2000, even some of the like 05, 06, 07 games, just pulling those back up with like good commentary and watching the games and getting a feel for the atmosphere. And again, nobody wearing masks, so it's nice to see that. It was bizarre, yeah. I We are amongst the biggest Michigan fans, but there are definitely bigger Michigan historians because I'm sure there's a Michigan fan out there right now that's like, you don't remember LeSueur at corner? I'm like, no, I, I, I do not. I'm sorry. You know, at, at the time I was, you know, 14 years old and trying to fondle my first breast. Yeah, I was 12. Like, I, I wasn't even thinking <laughs> about it. I was still playing like G.I. Joe's in my basement. 
All right. You know, like I was I was into Michigan football. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I had other things going on as well. And, uh, you know, anything after 2006, though, I got you. We're hanging in there. We don't know about the barn burners, the 32, but man, we can hold you this at least this century. Yes, indeed. Um, some of the games we're looking at uh, to do this for coming up next. I mean, you had a pretty good list there. Uh, what are some of the ones that you wanted to look at? If you have that handy. Let me pull it up real quick. If not, no big deal. But yeah, we want to do some that are more recent. I think we'll have to do 06 Michigan, Ohio State, and we'll also have to do 16 Michigan, Ohio State. That, that 16 Ohio State's really going to hurt, but that's one we have to revisit just so we can kind of break down the the little nuance of it, not just all the bad memories. Um, other yeah. other nominees, 91 Ohio State, 97 Sparty, 97 Ohio State, 2000 Alabama, 04 Michigan State, 06 Ohio State, like you said, uh, Lloyd Carr's final game, the Capital One Bowl. Oh, yeah. 20-point fourth quarter against Wisconsin in 08. Um, 11 and 13 uh, Notre Dame, a 2011 Ohio State, 2013 Ohio State, the one point loss, the Michigan mm. goal line stand in 15, the Florida season opener in 17, and even some of the more recent ones last year, Notre Dame or 2018, the Paul Bunyan pose. Absolutely. Those are some great options. Some of the ones that stand out to me, Lloyd Carr's final game would be a lot of fun. Um, that 97 Michigan state game, just to do the, the Woodson interception would be a blast. So yeah, that, and then that interception like swung the game. Cause Sparty was driving, had some momentum. And then you just one hand pick a ball and toe tap the sideline. You don't come back from that. No, no, you don't. If somebody does that to you legally, they're allowed to date your girlfriend and claim their children. I mean, that's, that's the laws I've heard. They probably have a right to your land as well. <laughs> depending on what state it happens in yeah in the state of michigan he claimed that land part of lansing yeah. is his now yeah <laughs> woodson avenue uh yeah so until we have more football to talk about we'll do this uh we will keep up with michigan players in the nfl that's definitely something that we can do uh we will talk a little bit about what's happening in the college football season, but that almost feels like cheating on a, on a loved one, but we, we can do it, I guess. Yeah, we can touch on it. We'll get back. You know, we'll keep it Michigan though, but we're not cheating too much. No, dude. Like, am I really going to talk about how sweet it was to watch Clemson? Like sweet. Good on you. Uh, we're, we're all sitting at home watching nothing because I watch college football for Michigan, not because of college football. I realize that now. Yeah, as much as I love college football and football in general, it's just not the same without the maize and blue. Without your team in it, yeah. It's not the same, not even close to it. So, All right, my brother, any last thoughts on this one? None, sir, for me. Can't wait to be back next week with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll do another one next week, and this was fun, but that's going to do it for us here on Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, follow Maize and Brew on Twitter, at Maize and Brew. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, make sure that you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast from, Apple, Spotify, etc. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go. Boop.